Hey, this is the True Crit Podcast, where me, John Digital, and Lizzie Benito get pretty nerdy about an artist's discography. This season, we're talking about Steely Dan, so strap in. It's going to be wild. This week, we're at Gaucho. So, almost as if we're at the end of part one of the yes. series. Side A. Yeah, side A. The the end of side A. Yeah, the stylus is like bouncing off the end of the LP. Mm. We're at 1980, Steely Dan. I find this album, I want to say it's of its time, but actually it's not of its time, is it? It's like ahead of its time in a lot of ways, I think, in terms of the production and instrumentation. I feel like this album is, has been incredibly influential on a lot of music in the 80s. It's definitely what can be classed as yacht rock. Asia is kind of yacht rock, but I would say this is a real yacht rock record. Yeah, it is. But the irony, of course, is that yacht rock, and everything about it is probably something that Don and Walt really hated being associated with because it's that kind of lifestyle that they you know, rail against. Yeah, so much. I guess, yeah. So I, I guess. find it quite ironic that they get called Yacht Rock when actually they're kind of anti-Yacht Rock in a way. Yacht Rock to me is more of a production style more than a particular lifestyle. I think of something like Hold the Line by Toto. Yeah. You know, it's just produced to within an inch of its life, <laughs> but it's still got some real feeling in it. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah, it's that American psycho vibe though, isn't it? So yeah. It's not actually the songs themselves and the production of it, but it's who's listening to that music. Yeah, yeah. The kind of people that would be like, let's listen to Studio by Phil Collins and murder <laughs> someone. <laughs> by this record, for a long time for me, I just couldn't handle the sound of it. I Why just, is that? Because it's so clinical, it's so clean. There's, there is no distortion on this record. So it's, that's interesting you say that because Donald actually said that they'd gone too far on Gaucho. And he said trying to realise the technical perfection started to deaden the material. So even they themselves were like, we probably went too far on this one. But I don't, I don't know if it does sound clinical. I get where you're coming from. It's almost like that natural step, isn't it, from Asia going like, yeah. how far, how far can we take this? But... There's a real richness to it. And there is, yeah. My benchmark is my car stereo because my car stereo is shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's really shit. So if something's really well engineered, it sounds, it even sounds good on my shit car stereo. So thank you very much, Steely Dan, for considering Lizzie Benito in her mini with the, like, the entry level music system because it sounds amazing on that as well. Yeah, well, that's everything's good. like crystal clear. It's just it's it's you know so beautifully mixed. Oh, it's it's gorgeous, and I think over over time, becoming really familiar with this record, I did start to see the the human side of it rather than just this kind of pristine operating room. Yeah. That this record is. Have you read the uh, Robert Palmer interview from Rolling Stone in 1981? No. Because he basically said exactly the same thing. He said it was like music in an operating theatre. Yeah. 
which is quite interesting. You said the same thing. If you can find this interview in uh, Rolling Stone, it is... It's a fantastic interview, and I've, I've lifted quite a lot of uh, <laughs> facts from it. So Amazing. actually, I no, don't read that interview. I knew this anyway. There's a whole kind of opening section about the recording of Babylon Sisters and how they like tweaked the, the mix of the vocals. Like you were saying in the previous episode about the, the welver in Home at Last and how they spent like six hours working on welver. yeah. They did similar sort of thing with Babylon Sisters. They spent four hours working on 56 seconds of track. The way they describe the whole scenario, the whole situation is really fascinating. But like I said before, if you were Steely Dan and you had all of that at your disposal and you were that way inclined, you probably just would. Yeah. You'd be like, right, let's absolutely agonise over everything. But maybe it took the joy out of it for them. Yeah, I think so. I read that they actually had an argument about the fade out on Babylon Sisters. That's what this interview's about. It's yeah. the fade out on the, yeah, the shake it, you, uh, the shake it baby, you got to shake it baby, that yeah. one. The shake it, 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 it bit. And they just agonised over it. Yeah, yeah, it took them four hours. <laughs> <laughs> For a fade out, it's crazy. Yeah, I love it. And they tried oh. like 40 different kinds of fade out. Like, is this the fade out or is this the real fade out? They were like trying to trick you with the fade out and they just agonised over it. But, you know, thank God they did because otherwise they wouldn't be Steely Dan, would they? That's very true. This is the record that we have been building towards since Can't Buy a Thrill. Yeah. All the themes, the composition, the style of music, Mm. it's all building up to this record. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I use this record as my test record do you so when i'm testing stuff out this is what i use so you don't use asia i don't use asia just because it's it's this is so nerdy <laughs> you nerdy <laughs> about music how dare you <laughs> the reverb is so good on babylon yeah. sisters that i know what i want to hear when it comes mm-hmm. out of the speaker or it mm-hmm. comes out of a pair of headphones yeah and if i hear it then i'm super happy so i don't want to go too far into babylon sisters because there's a couple of bits that about the album broadly that i want to kind yeah, of pick cool. up on yeah go for it. um so it's it's their last album with abc yep um, before they went to Warner Brothers. Yeah, they'd signed a really massive deal with Warner Brothers. Yeah, they had, which is crazy because literally 20-year hiatus. <laughs> they signed a new label and they're like, well, we're just not going to do it. Well, that's not strictly true. Obviously, they did do other stuff, which we'll get to. But they had a contracted agreement as well to go on tour with it. Apparently, they had some problems agreeing payments for all the different musicians. And they didn't want to be perceived as capitalists. Amazing. <laughs> so they pulled the whole tour. Wow. And just didn't do it because they were just like, well, we can't, you know, we can't get the guys to agree money and I don't want it to be about money. So we're just not going to do it, which is mad. Also, Walter had a, a car accident. Yes, he did. Yeah. And also their friend died as well, which caused quite a, you know, reasonable gap between Asia and Gaucho. Yeah, three years. No, Yeah, a couple of reasons why that was, you know, it took them so long. And I think that kind of slowed things, slowed the start of the album's production. Yeah, so didn't get off to a particularly great start, I don't think. The sessions to this record were pretty fraught. 
Yeah. They'd started getting into using drum machines, which I'm sure all the musicians, apart from Don and Walt, really hated. Yeah, of course they would have done. The synth is features quite um, significantly in this album as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a kind of electronic record, really. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, there's still some of the, you know, the old characters popping up in here. Steve Gadd's in it quite a lot. Larry Carlton is in it. Jeff Bacara. Jeff Bacara's only on one track, though. Yeah. Um, um, and, and yeah, and our mate Michael McDonald is only on one. I thought he was on more than that, but apparently not. And I'll tell you why, because I realised this. Don starts to be able to do really good Michael McDonald impressions on this record because his voice is overdubbed a lot on this. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, there's a lot of over overdubbing yeah. of, of his voice. And like you have the chords I've yeah. discussed in Casey Lied episode. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing that effect quite a lot on Donald's voice. Yeah, so that's what I mean. He was doing the heavy lifting rather than getting Michael McDonald to do it, which is yeah. pretty amazing. Because yeah. he's got a good voice, but he's not Michael McDonald. No, but his voice is so idiosyncratic and it's so, it is steely down. I can't imagine anyone else singing the songs that he sings. And, you know, and it's when you look at Can't Buy a Thrill and how in, almost like it's so disjointed and now you've got this really coherent sound um, I couldn't imagine anyone else singing those songs. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever mentioned this, but they had a vote, didn't they? To Because Donald wanted Michael McDonald to take over the lead vocals of the band and they all had a vote and voted against him. No way. Yeah, I, that was a while ago, though. That was that was a bunch of albums previously. But yeah, he was like, I want Michael McDonald to be the lead singer. And they were like, don't be a dick. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing heavily here. I so, wasn't in the room. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I read as well that they also asked Loudon Wainwright at some point. Really? To take over the vocals, yeah. What, Rufus's parents? Da yeah, yeah. Loudon, wow, okay. Loudon Wainwright III. From what I read, he was underwhelmed. <laughs> wow that sounds yeah. like a very wainwright thing to say doesn't it and it's it's also it's, it's <laughs> apologies also, to the wainwright family <laughs> it's also worth saying as well there's quite a big hole in this record they wrote a song that they really really loved and it got erased <gasps> i didn't know that yeah it's a song called the second arrangement and it was meant to be one of the centerpieces of this record and one of the tape engineers accidentally wiped like the perfect take of it all. Oh my and god! They... Imagine being that engineer though. Yeah. You just... Oh my god! And they tried to re-record it, and they just couldn't get the magic of it back, and so it is gone. And I always oh, no. feel that there's a sense of absence in this record, but we'll we'll kind of get to that as we go through the okay. go through the songs. Okay, should, should, we, should we get into Babylon Sisters then, Let's John? Let's get into Babylon Sisters. Come on. Mm. 
fucking love this song. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I fucking love it. And one thing that you find a lot in this album is the female backing vocals are much more prominent in this yes. album as well, which I love. I had this thought previously that I would have really loved to have heard Donald Walt produce, write an album for a female vocalist. And I know that they did do that prior yeah. to Steely Dan becoming a thing. But they were actually, when I read the interview about it, they were really quite mean about the vocalists they had. And they were like, basically, she didn't have a fucking clue what she was talking about. And when I first read that, when I first started researching the band for this podcast, that was the first instance when I just thought, oh, just... You know, are you guys a little bit misogynistic? They are. Because they're quite dismissive. And unfortunately, this album, we've gone from being quite reverential about women in Asia mm. to being, yeah, the old misogyny's back in this one, unfortunately, I think. A hundred percent. And they've kind of regressed to just talking about women without kind of giving them any character or nuance yeah well this song as one of the songs for that argument mm. because he's just referring to all west coast women as babylon sisters yeah so i think he's talking about he's like an older guy he might be trying to recapture some kind of i don't know some kind of wild time and I also think that maybe he has maybe two sex workers he's going to have a threesome with. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what this is about. She's kind of like regressing to the yeah. themes from Katie Lied, I think. I think obviously with Katie Lied, it's like a creative burnout. Mm. Whereas on this record, it's a physiological burnout. Mm, yeah. Getting older, realising that there is this wealth of youth and that you can't really connect with the youth anymore yeah it's a very world weary record it is but, but in it's a different, almost but in a different way to yeah it's experienced before yeah i think, think you're right i think it is world weary but there's almost like like an acceptance of it that that's what life is like yeah. and there there's an ease about how they talk about the themes it's almost like they are, yeah they're completely at ease with these these circumstances and that's what they've accepted life's all about so it, there's not that kind of fuck this is shit like it was in katie lied it's more like well here we go this is life now this Getting is this old. is the furrow i'm plowing well, this actually has like probably my favorite verse out of any song really second verse on this mm -hmm. i just think it's amazing just an, an amazing piece of poetry even though it's super seedy it is really seedy I, san francisco show and tell yeah yeah <laughs> oh that it's just a spasm yeah like a yeah. sunday in tj yeah it's cheap but it's not free that i'm not what i used to be and that love's not a game for three Not 
this is why I'm thinking it, he's going for a threesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Or maybe he's watching three women. Oh, maybe he is. Maybe that's his San Francisco show and tell. Yeah. Crikey. Touching on all the fun subjects again. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really love the line as he watches his bridges burn from the point of no return. I love that line. Yeah. There's so much to say. There's the vocal performances by the backing singers, which are, are just absolutely, I love it. I've probably heard Babylon Sisters whilst I was getting into Asia because I was thinking, oh, I want to start kind of exploring their other music. And I was, yeah. I was like, let's give Gaucho a listen. And this is obviously the first one on the album. And it's that Babylon Sisters shake it. Oh, just love it. And then the mad fucking key changes that happen later on in the song with the shake it line yeah absolutely blows my mind and then it brings it back into the you know the original key and that kind of continues without the backing vocals as well and it's just how i don't even know how they come up with these bloody ideas <laughs> going on in your heads i love it it's an amazing way to open the record in the same way where i always anticipate that very beginning of black cow mm -hmm. then i always anticipate the keyboards line mm -hmm. in this i'm mm -hmm. always if i put this record on i'm just as soon as i get into that keyboard bit i'm like ah oh, this is I fucking love this record. Because it's got that really great clav opening, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Really who's, nice. who's, who's playing the who's playing the clav on that one? I think it's Don. I think it's Don. Awesome. Awesome. I think the backing singers are bring quite quite a significant amount to this song because when yeah. they sing Tell Me I'm the Only One. Yeah. I find that quite interesting that that's like several women singing that line. Yeah. The delivery of it is very saccharine, isn't it? Mm. That is it's just it's 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 incredibly misogynistic, I think. And also this it, it, when he describes them as cotton candy as well. It's like, you know, your your candy floss, your nothing, your pink like air, basically. I've got a really gross take. Give me a gross take, John. Both barrels, come on. Pubic hair. Oh, uh, oh God. That's the cotton candy, isn't it? Oh, I, oh, I didn't think of that. Oh no. <laughs> it's fucking. <laughs> yeah, but like. You start to dig in this. It, you start to dig into this song, and you realise it is pretty gross. It is quite gross. It is quite gross. I'm interested in this symbolism of Babylon, though. I think he's calling West Coast America Babylon. So is he talking about that in the context of Babylon, in, in, in sort of Rastafarian culture, where Babylon is the state? I think he's talking about like a pre like oppression, like an oppressive state. No, I don't think so. I think he's referring to it as in like a kind of esoteric way. They're Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia, yeah, yeah. This kind of esoteric way, like thought of like Babylon of some ancient mystical, but not mystical, but mm -hmm. so far back in human history that it's got this magical quality about it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he's being cynical by calling them 
Babylon's sisters or if he's being reverential. Yeah, I think he's probably being cynical. I can't find any kind of redeeming factors in this song about women. Yeah. This, I think we've moved on. I think we've moved on from Asia. You know, I think this record is probably the most cynical by quite a mile. Yeah, I agree. And we did discuss this before we recorded the show. And I wonder whether it's because potentially they've moved on from weed and heroin to coke. Yeah, it's definitely a very coke record. It's very cokey. Like, cocaine should definitely have a credit on this record. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yes, it should. I'm surprised it's not online. <laughs> yeah. Featuring cocaine. <laughs> it hangs over the whole production, doesn't it? Yeah. So, can we talk about Hey 19? <laughs> Because it's fucking I, brutal, this song. Yeah, so I've got okay, I have two takes. I have the take that I probably would have had had I not realised Peg was about making a woman star in a blue movie. Or the other take I've got, which is knowing everything I already know about Steely Dan. So innocent take, is he talking to himself when he's nineteen years old? Non innocent take. Is he trying to hook up with a 19-year-old? He's trying to hook up with a 19-year-old. Damn it! <laughs> oh, I really don't want him to hook up with a 19-year-old. <laughs> but he's doing it in two different time zones. Oh, okay. So he's doing it in 67 when he was at college. Yeah. And then he's doing it when he's older. So verse one, it opens up with... which is when he was 19. Yeah. Which is what makes me think that maybe he's talking to his 19-year-old self, but then he quite blatantly is like, you know, let's, she don't remember the Queen of Soul. Let's drink tequila and do coke. <laughs> is it coke, though, or is it weed? The fine Colombian. Well, yeah, I know it's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> but, back, but back then, good weed came from Colombia. But good coke came from Colombia as well. Yeah, that's true. It's just like, let's drink loads of tequila and do loads of coke and then maybe we'll have sex. Make tonight a wonderful thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's horrible. But it is quite horrible. So I've got a couple of wrong takes on this whole album, which I know are wrong, but I'm going to talk about them anyway. But I was just thinking, you know, they talked about time travel in Pretzel Logic, the song. Yep. And I was thinking maybe he wants to go back to his 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 younger self and, and like introduce his younger self to Aretha Franklin. And, you know, we can't talk at all. I can't tell you about all these things. I can't educate you. Do you know what's quite nice, though, is that I haven't been completely ruined by Steely Dan's cynicism. And I still have an element of innocence <laughs> about my takes on things. But yeah, he is really singing to a 19-year-old girl, isn't he? Yeah. Damn it. I looked at the lyrics, and I, when I look at the lyrics, I always go to genius.com because they just seem to be right. 
But I think so. When it says way back in '67, I am I am utterly convinced, and it would take a lot to persuade me that this is not the case. But he says I was a dandy demagogue, and I'm so sure he says that. But apparently the lyrics are I was the dandy of Gamma Chi. Mm. And, and I don't, I, I'm pretty sure he says demagogue. Well, no, because I've had a similar thing with online lyrics. In Don't Take Me Alive, when he says, I crossed my old man back in Oregon. Oh, yeah. I'm sure what he's saying, Aragon. 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 We did talk about this. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, maybe. Just that whole, is it this, is it that? Still going through that agonising like, what are they actually talking about? Yeah, but then they did that in Showbiz Kids as well. Like, yeah. they deliberately sang different words yeah. to throw you off the, the scent. And they do that. We've established that they have form in throwing in stuff that is not actually true. Or yeah. they'll chuck in a red herring to throw you off course. So, fuck knows. <laughs> I just really like Dandy Demagogue. That's Dandy just, Demagogue. That's an amazing image. Oh, the Dandy Demagogues <laughs> yeah. is a good band name. That is a good band name. That's an amazing <laughs> band name. So I thought it was a Lyricon at the start, the opening, but I think it's just a synth, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's definitely just synth. There's so much synth on this album. Yeah. It dominates, actually, I think. It's almost like I've just got really into it and really into how, what you can do with a synthesizer. And obviously they would have progressed quite significantly by, you know, by the time this album came out. So, and there's, there's even a synth solo as well in this there one. There is a synth solo. There's a really nice little jamming break in this song, which, uh, which yeah. I really love. And I think that he references, I never knew you, you were a roller skater. Oh, yeah, skate a little lower. Yeah. He says, I love that lower. bit. I love it when he goes, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get well, I really like nice. It really makes me happy when I hear that bit. Yeah, skate a little lower. And I thought it was Michael McDonald singing backing vocals on this one, but he's not at all. No. It's, they've got three other guys, I think, singing backing vocals on this one. Yeah. But yeah, because it does sound like him, but it's not him. But it's not. People doing impressions. Yeah. They'll never be. I'm a big Michael McDonald fan, so yeah. he'll never beat Michael McDonald with his but big beard. They obviously couldn't afford him. <laughs> not not anymore. Was he in the Doobie Brothers at that point? Yeah, because well, they had a record out in 1980, so that's probably why he's not on this record. Yeah, they, yeah. Like, minute I've... by minute was the Doobie Brothers record. And it doesn't sound that different to this record. Mm. They're very much related. Should we move on? Oh my God, this song. I'm going to say this a bunch of times, by the way. But yeah, Glamour Profession. Have you noticed that they spell it with a U? What? They spell Glamour with a U. That's oh not... my God, that's, that's the British spelling. Yes, yeah, it's not the American spelling. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> See, now, to the untrained eye, it doesn't mean anything. But you and I know Steely Dan never do anything by accident. 
What's it mean? <laughs> I've tried to work it out. Tried to work it out in my mind. This song is just, it's about just how much they fucking hate LA. Yeah, it is. It's another one that you and I discussed briefly. And I feel like this is a bit of a sequel song to Showbiz Kids. Yeah. Because it's almost like the Showbiz Kids have grown up and now they're coke dealers. Yeah. Or now they're just running LA. Yeah. It's the line, Hollywood, I know your claim to fame. Yeah. Which is coke, isn't it? In my opening uh, line for my notes is in capital letters, ultimate vibes. <laughs> it's just the most vibey song. Yeah. I love it so much. It's got I, great... do feel, I do feel like it could be like two minutes shorter though. It's got a great rhythm to it. It has. And again, you've got these really nice female vocals. Yeah, and it, it paints such, such a vivid story, doesn't it? Yeah. It's straight away very little doubt about what the song's about because they start talking about Hoops McCann, who was the... Was he a basketball player? Yeah, he was an NBA star. With a massive coke problem. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now here's the take for you. This is one that I've had... Today, actually, because of the line, brute and charisma, poor from the shadow where he stood, I've written with a big arrow, is this Deacon Blue? Wow. Because I thought perhaps Deacon Blue didn't, you know, things didn't turn out very well for him, but maybe they did. And maybe now he's a, a coke dealer in Hollywood. Maybe, or yeah. maybe I'm reading too much into it, which is possible. <laughs> I would like to think it is, because I, I did make the case for Deacon Blue not dying. Yeah, you did actually. You made quite a compelling case. And so I'm I'm kind of floored by this track. Just because when you think they couldn't hate LA anymore, they literally just piss all over what mm -hmm. Hollywood was like at that time. Yeah. It's almost like a blueprint for eighties excess though, isn't it? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, you know, making a call from the car and then sailing to Barbados for fun, illegal fun in the Sun Boys, that whole thing. You can almost feel that time, the yeah. way they describe it. It's so vivid, but they're so good at that. They're so good at painting such a, you know, a, a compelling visual image with their lyrics and their, and their music. Like Daddy Don't Live in That New York City No More. That paints a really vivid mental picture for me as well in this sort of smoky dive bar. But this one, it's on a yacht, in Barbados, loads of gear. Oh, his Eurasian bride as well. Yeah. Another example of othering a woman. Like, mm. you know, she's just an object, a thing. This song's amazing. I love it, even though it's a bit bleak. <laughs> I think you just have to accept that this record is really bleak. And yeah. despite the lyrical content, it's a good record. It is a really good record. And, oh, Steve Gadd's drumming on this one is... Yeah. Oh, amazing oh and the bass as well i really bass picked out really the, the, the effect that they put on the bass as well and that's um anthony jackson it's really sleazy yeah it's it, i love it uh, yeah it's got a really nice like piano as well in mm -hmm. this song that i really love mm -hmm. yeah 
Because I wasn't sure because there's that, I'm guessing it's a synth that is just a constant throughout the song. Yeah, it's like a pulse, isn't it? Yeah, 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 which I think is probably, apart from the backing vocals, I think it's probably the most significant part of this particular song because it just, straight away... It's like relentless. Yeah, it's relentless, but it it just immediately adds this kind of vibe of being a coke dealer. Oh, and having Sichuan dumplings. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Chow's. <laughs> Mr. Chow's. Man. Damn you, damn you've done it again. <laughs> Ready to move? Oh, I'm excited about <laughs> this song. <laughs> when I got my stats from Spotify for this year, yeah. this was one of my most listened songs. Really? This year. Yeah. Pretty much spent most of this year obsessed by this song. <laughs> why this year why this year in particular i don't know i've just spent a lot of time in my own head and i just kept coming back to this song and i just the arrangement of it just the mysterious lyrics and the saxophone solo got a killer saxophone solo in this song yes it does have a killer sax solo and, and we're back we're back on cowboys again we're back on cowboys we are potentially in the future custodome custodome okay it's like some kind of like utopian futuristic cowboy place <laughs> that's what Space i think cowboys of. yeah maybe that's where jamiroquai got his idea from <laughs> we all know jamiroquai got all of his ideas from cocaine <laughs> and weed and weed so weed to start with then cocaine hi jk you're a nice guy this is one of those songs where i don't know where to start because it's just incredible i've got my hand over my mouth i'm so excited to talk about it because it starts off like a TV theme, oh, I just doesn't love, it? Just love so song. I'm like, it's like Hill Street Blues. I'm like, it's Gaucho featuring Patrick Duffy. <laughs> <laughs> and then it completely changes into yeah. a Spanish folk song. Yeah, it's very like Mexican. Just, yeah, yeah, it's like it blows my mind. Just when I say, boy, we can miss you are gone. There's a scene in a film called The Wild Bunch from 1969. Yeah. The farewell song from that film, which is immediately what I think of when I hear the chorus for Gaucho. Standing in your 
and that's a cowboy film as well and we've talked about cowboys a bunch of times because I think we both agreed that they must have been fairly heavily influenced by yeah cowboy films because that's what they would have watched when they were kids um but now the cowboy situation has turned into so I think this is about a gay relationship, which may have turned into a gay love triangle. I think it's about a gay man that turns up to the custodome with a younger male. Okay. Because, well, he calls him a nasty schoolboy. There's a couple of things in here in the lyrics which make me think that this is about a gay relationship. The most significant one is, I don't care what you do at home, yes. which is a very, very common thing that people say when they talk about gay people. And it's, I've got no problem with gay people. I just don't want them shoving it in my face. Yeah, yeah. Which, just to be clear, is bullshit. Yes. In case anyone had any doubt about my views on LGBT people. But then the custodome... I've read that Donna Wall made it up, one of their silly lingo words that they made up, like Battle Apple from Josie. Yeah. They made up the term Battle Apple, and they used to like doing that. They used to like making up shit, making up slang and stuff like that. So what is the custodome? Is the custodome, is that like a broader term for where they're living? Is that society? I don't know. Or some kind of utopian dude ranch. <laughs> On the dude ranch. Yeah. Now, that's an interesting angle. It feels like, you know, we've had this country cowboy theme pretty much through all the records. Yeah. And this seems to be the summation of that. Mm. Yeah. And maybe he is saying, like, two gay men just aren't welcome here. Like, you're welcome here, my friend, but you're gay boyfriend or your lover isn't welcome he's not as cool as you so i find it quite funny <laughs> quite i find the chorus quite funny yeah because i always imagine like he's walking into he's walked into his house and he's found him with another guy and he's wearing <laughs> it just paints such an absurd image of him standing there in a leather poncho spangled your, spangled in your spangled yeah. leather poncho and elevator shoes it's like who the hell is he shagging <laughs> who's he found but it's very compromising though isn't it but the whole song is like what the hell's going on here no, he can't sleep. He's got to sleep on the floor. It's almost like an argument, like being yeah. unfolded in front of you, like discovering this affair, maybe. Um, and I says, don't know. He says about the spangled leather poncho with the studs that match your eyes. Yeah, that's later on, isn't it? Yeah. It's an amazing song, but it is a very confusing song. It is, it's very confusing. It's very confusing because there's so much to it and there's so many aspects to it. And I can't quite nail this one down. He calls the the other man, the man from Rio. Don't tell me he'll wait in the car. Look at you, holding hands with the man from Rio. Would you care to explain? He's dissing him, <laughs> saying about like the Rio carnival, isn't he? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Okay, this one's stumping me, but I love it. It's astonishing. The guy that plays the saxophone on this, David mm. Sanborn, mm -hmm. he's the guy that did the soundtrack to Lethal Weapon. No way! Yeah. 
Oh, okay. And he's part of like the kind of smooth jazz movement of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I did get into smooth jazz a couple of years ago and I do own a couple of David Sanborn records. It's all right. Smooth jazz is okay. I'll you sound a little bit apologetic. I just don't know anybody that could get into it apart from me. Yeah, if and... anyone's going to get into smooth jazz, it's going to be <laughs> it's you. It's going to be me. <laughs> I'll probably end up really liking it. You could, you could well. It's it <laughs> once you get into it, it's pretty addictive. Okay. Oh no, what are you gonna do it's to a me? Gateway drug. Oh fuck. Not another one. Uh, yeah. Like my whole <laughs> life is just gateway drugs. Because <laughs> that actually leads us on to the next song quite nicely. Yes. <laughs> Seamless. Time out of mind. This is my favourite song on the whole album. Is this song about drugs? We're going to the Steely Dan flow chart. Flow chart. Is yes. this song about drugs? Yes. Yes. What drugs is it about? Heroin. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is he having a pop at Walter on this song? I don't know. I don't know. Right? And the reason why I don't know is because this song makes heroin sound fucking great fun. <laughs> <laughs> It does. It does, actually. It really does. I didn't realise this. Mark Knopfler. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had no idea he worked with Stevie Dan. Yeah. I was shocked when I found that out. His tiny little amounts that he's on here, it's, like, really yeah. small. But you can tell it's him. Yeah. Oh, a million is, miles away. Yeah. I didn't realise until I started researching it. And then I was listening to it again. When I knew it was Mark Knopfler, I was like, that's definitely Mark Knopfler. Yeah. That's definitely Mark Knopfler. It's, like, tiny little bits of it, which I absolutely love. And of course, the drinking game isn't as good this episode, but Michael McDonald is obviously on here. Yes. Um, but really low in the mix. Yeah, really low. Which is quite interesting. So this song, I had one of my wrong takes on. This song makes heroin sound like lots of fun. Yep. But they are talking about the water may change to cherry wine and the silver will turn to gold. So originally I was like, because mm, cherry wine is disgusting. I've never <laughs> had then, it. But it's oh, like, it's, it's vile. Is it? Yeah, I don't like cherry wine. I always thought that it would taste nice. No, it's not very nice. Like a Black Forest Gatto wine. Which is probably why wine is made of grapes and not cherries. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned this earlier, but Stevie Dan never do anything by accident. Everything's deliberate. So I was like, they didn't have to say cherry wine. Maybe they really hate cherry wine. And and then I was thinking, oh, silver will turn to gold. Are they talking about alchemy? Are they talking about silver being turned into gold, but it's actually like fool's gold and it's all bollocks and it's fake? And then I realised, obviously, that cherry wine reference is blood in the syringe. Whoa! And... <laughs> Holy fuck it is. <laughs> Shit. Blood in the syringe oh. and then sil silver to gold is... The fucking tin foil. The tin foil of oh. heroin. Dude, you just fucking smashed the case of this track. <laughs> 
cracked the case again. Oh, I'm out of mind. Fucking amazing. I was quite pleased with my wrong take, and then the new one, I was like, ah, that's what it is. So it kind of does glamorize heroin in this song. Yeah, it's almost like a, a dealer trying to like, come on, kid, it's great, this stuff. I think if I was out anywhere and they played this, I would lose my shit. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Even if the dance floor was empty, I'd be up there. I'd probably spontaneously combust. <laughs> I think I'd just be done. Like that band that you saw randomly play. Oh, yeah, Josie. Yeah, Josie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think if I had a band do Time Out of Mind, I would, um, yeah. So I find the vocals are arranged almost like woodwind section, like a brass section. And they're layered so interestingly with the saxophones as well in this song. It's yeah. just like so beautifully mixed. There's so much to listen to in this song. I can listen to it till I die, I think. It is an amazing, amazing song. Mm -hmm. This, I think this, after Gaucho, this is my, my favourite song. Yeah, it's a bop, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's got a proper a great, bop. It's got such a great groove. It's the most natural sounding song on the record. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I think this is probably, for me, it's the album's five point in every sense not just the fact that it's my favorite song i think it is like you say it's the most relaxed it's the easiest one it does kind of drop away after this track it drops into something different the mood completely kind of changes yeah yeah so hang on is this side b it's track one side b i'm pretty which sure is, which is quite mad isn't it when you think about how they've divided the tracks up because you've got this one which is totally at odds with the next few songs. Yeah, this is a really short record. It's only like 43 minutes. It's really short. And also, with the exception of Gamma Profession, all of the songs are pretty kind of like taut. Yeah. It's almost like they're going back to Pretzel Logic days yeah, where they're just kind of... kind of like succinct little vignettes again. Yeah, but then Glamour Profession is, is about seven and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, which is really long. Yeah, and just checking, Gaucho actually opened side two. So this is track two, side two. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, maybe not so crazy then. Yeah. It's like you were saying earlier about this missing song. Yeah. That they recorded and lost. I know what you mean about it. It does feel like there's a Something big chunk. missing. Yeah, some, yeah. yeah, there's a chunk missing in this album. And maybe it was that song that they lost, or it must have been. Yeah. Oh, man, our poor sound engineer. Do you think he still thinks about that? I'm sure he's all right. <laughs> I'm sure he's fine. So, my rival can't quite figure it out the middle verse like really throws me off on this song what is that is it the detective's line or i struck yeah, just that whole verse because i thought that the opening verse is him talking about celebrating a birth of a child mm. and he is seeing that child as his rival yes well that's my take as well oh, he's good. And it's the line, the milk truck eased into my space. Another incredibly misogynistic line because yes. he's just describing his wife or partner and the mother of his child as a milk truck. Yes. The wind was driving in my face, the smell of prickly pear. Show me my rug. The milk truck eased into my space, somebody screams somewhere. And then he's like at a bar having some whiskey, smoking a cigar. Yeah. 
celebrating a child being born. There was a couple of songs on here and I thought maybe they switched narrator. And I wonder whether this song switches narrator as well. Yes, it does. Be the son is talking about the dad in the second verse. Yeah, I think it maybe switches narrator. And then it switches again back to the dad. Yeah, yeah. At the end. Oh, I was the whining stranger. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. And then it switches back later on. But he's saying he's got a scar across his face. He wears a hearing aid, which obviously can't be a baby, can it? And then it switches back to, I still recall when I first held your tiny hand in mine. Yeah. It's quite a complex bit of songwriting, this one. Yeah, it is. Thinking about a man being jealous of a baby is just like such a fucked up like story for a song. Yeah, it is. But then it's a typical Steely Dan character, though, isn't it? It's yeah. just sort of, you know, irredeemable loser, really. It has the worst qualities in any person. And they don't, either they're, they're not aware of it or they don't give a shit. Yeah. And this is kind of a complex characterization. Do you think it's probably their most complex male character? I still think Deacon Blue is the most complex male character. But then this one, but it's two people, isn't it? Yeah. It wasn't until, as it has always been on every episode, until I started reading the lyrics, I always felt this song was a bit kind of filler. But it's not. But it's not at all. And do you know what? I thought that about Gaucho, because I was a bit like, oh, not that bothered about this song, to be honest with you. But then I read the lyrics yeah, and started to try and understand them. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. The organ... Mm. Never really heard anything like this from them before. I tried to find out who was playing it, what it was, and I wonder whether it's just a synthesizer. The synthesizers by 1980 were pretty, starting to become pretty complex. Yeah, because it's kind of, because I, I call this that kind of organ, I call it an ironic organ. <laughs> do you know what I mean by yeah, that? I do, kind yeah. of like 80s game, no, not even 80s game show, like early, like earlier game show vibe, like here comes your prizes. <laughs> with a like a bossa nova beat in the background you know what i mean that really just shit for mica this is my random comment about bjork so the sax phone arrangement when i was listening to this properly i thought the sax arrangement sounds quite familiar to me and then I realised and I I wonder whether Bjork was influenced by this for the anchor song that she had on her album debut because it sounds so similar and I probably wouldn't put it past her to be honest with you because she's an innovator as well. And that really kind of took me off guard, actually. I was like, oh, my God. Imagine if Bjork was influenced by my rival, <laughs> by <laughs> Steely Dan. It wouldn't surprise me because Debut is connected to Massive Attack, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> it's, no, it is Nelly Hooper, you're yeah, right. Yeah, he was part of the Wild Bunch that turned into Massive Attack. Ah, okay. The reason why I was saying about it being a Massive Attack connection in there somewhere, because on Blue Lines... They sample loads of jazz fusion stuff. So that would make sense. In the wheelhouse of this record is so it's all kind of intermingled. So I'd mm-hmm. be very surprised if they weren't listening to this record at some point. I don't see really, I don't really understand how anybody 
who considers themselves to be musical innovators or well consider themselves who are considered to be musical innovators can possibly have avoided Steely Dan yeah. because of how much they pushed songwriting and production. Yeah. You can't avoid them. How could you? I think as well with the whole punk rock new wave, this kind of music was seen as old fashioned or dinosaurs or whatever. But there was obviously a lot of people listening to this kind of stuff. Yeah. And thinking it was amazing. You sent me that really funny tweet this week about <laughs> adult onset Steely Dan appreciation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is a thing. We, we as are, we've we, established. Yeah, it's like we're suffering from it. <laughs> You're making me think now because I'm just looking at the Anchor song. And the Anchor song was produced by Bjork only. Ah. Nelly, Nelly Hooper didn't have anything to do with it. Interesting. All saxophones. Anyway, anyway, gosh, we've gone a little. We've gone a little Bjork. We, yeah. Well, that could be. I mean, that's on the list. I think we should tackle it because it would be. I don't really know her records that well. Oh, no, neither do I. <laughs> no, I'm being serious though. I'm being serious. Oh. It would be for me just a, a series of enlightenment for me. Well, maybe we've made our decision. You've heard it here first, <laughs> <laughs> and then. Yeah. We're at the end of the fucking record. I know. We're at the end of side A of the Steely Dan story. I feel a little bit sad. Do you? Yeah. And also, this song, Third World Man. It's fucking brutal, this song. It's really really sad, this song. This is like a really personal attack on someone. Yeah. I'm still not 100% settled with my take on this one. But I do think that this is one of the rare occasions where the melody and the production actually matches the theme of the song. Because what we don't have on this album, and which we haven't actually pointed out, really, is there's nothing on here, in my mind, which is that mad juxtaposition of a really jolly song with something that's really grim and dark necessarily time out of mind is i think and i think you can listen to that song and it just sounds like you're gonna go know, out and think, have a good night i think if you didn't know what chase the dragon meant you would never know that it's about heroin i learned what chase the dragon meant when i was 11 years old i think i found out from grange hill i found out from my neighbors i had really groovy neighbors when i was growing <laughs> up so that's how i know what chase the dragon means yeah, I guess if you never... Yeah, you wouldn't make that connection. You wouldn't make that connection, but yeah, I, yeah, I suppose so. So this song, what's your take on it? Because I've got a funny feeling that our takes are different. So I have two takes on this one. Okay. But they're not quite fully formed either of them. So the first one I thought might be about a soldier with PTSD. Yeah, so that's, that's one. Really but then the other take is, is it somebody who is vigilante is not the right word but somebody who is like weirdly obsessed with probably the easiest way to describe this is someone who's like usa usa do you know what i mean that kind of like i think it's the opposite of that that it's somebody that's like focusing on the problems of another country oh okay and not looking at his own problems mm-hmm or the, the problems in his own country. And that Mate. saying that he's a third world man is actually really fucking brutal. Maybe you're right. Just kind of dismissing him. It's just like, 
you've become a third world man but you know look what's going on that's that's an interesting take i think this is very complex this song i find it it's the line when the sidewalks are safe for the little guy i love that part of that song And the delivery, that's what makes me think, is it about someone with PTSD? Is the little guy a guy with PTSD? Because there's a real tenderness in the delivery, I find, of Donald's vocals of that particular line. And I just think, is that caring about this person who is having a horrendous flashback because of fireworks going off outside the house? I'm not completely settled on what I think this song's about yet. But your take is interesting. I think you might be onto something. This is probably like the song that I thought about the most. Really? I've always felt that it's a shit way to end this record. <laughs> if I'm going to be perfectly honest. So some people say this is like their finest recording, this particular song. Wow. Mm, yeah, because of the things that it touches on. Yeah. Because it's not, but it's impenetrable, but it's very abstract. It's the most abstract song by mm. mile and just not much happens in this song no it's not like one of those ones where you and i be like oh that solo is amazing although larry colton is on this yes one. yeah he is oh, yeah. we love a bit of larry colton we don't do we love larry colton. it's very different to their usual sound isn't it yeah it's quite a departure from you know what they what they've done previously on even just on this album yeah, definitely. I almost think if they hadn't split up after this record, this would have been mm. like the blueprint for the next Steely Dan 80s record. I do feel a little bit like this kind of reminds me a bit of Fire in the Hole. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the PTSD angle, that's kind of what makes me think of Fire in the Hole. About... Maybe like a Vietnam veteran. Maybe. Your third world. Yeah man thing is quite like so focused on stuff that's going out beyond his own country he doesn't have a clue what's going on on his doorstep in his front yard i did wonder whether maybe it's someone who's xenophobic yeah because xenophobia pops up a bunch of times as well god this album's fucking vague isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely the most difficult album to get a hold on things yeah yeah it's probably just as well that it is like <laughs> later on in the process because um yeah i don't know if i'd have been able to tackle this as the first album oh man imagine if this oh man i don't even imagine want... if this is their first album uh, we're like we've got no idea what they're talking about <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> and then it's got the i just sing the gala rondo when he's And there's a, an Italian line there as well after yeah, that. Yeah, one song meaning site, which is quite funny, where there's literally like a page of arguments about what, about what it means. You go, no, it doesn't mean that. It means this, blah, 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 blah. And then, no, no, you idiot. It's Italian for it was, basically. It was the third world. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's always the same thing. But um, what an odd little song this is. And sad. Yeah. I find it really sad. I think it's more sad because it's the ending. Although I doubt they, you know, planned it to be that way. This yeah. is, this was for a good 
two decades the mm. last track on the mm. last Steely Dan record. Yeah, it doesn't feel right, does it? No, we've come a long way from Do It Again. We really have come an awful long way. You know, we've made some friends. We've made friends with some cowboys. <laughs> we've made some friends with Lady with Gold Teeth. Yeah. We know an awful lot about Bard College. We know uh, I know enough about Bard College to go on Mastermind and my <laughs> specialist subject is Bard College. Bard College, Fucking yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, Ricky DeCorno. Kathy Barbarian. Yeah, Kathy Barbarian. We all live in a yellow submarine. Wow. <laughs> um, you'll be glad to know that we won't be taking a 20-year break. We're coming straight back. <laughs> we are, because um, the next Steely Dan album is Two Against Nature. But that came out in, like, 2000? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So rather than jump straight to Two Against Nature, John and I are going to discuss the solo efforts of Donald Malt. So next we're going to be talking about Donald Fagan's solo album, The Nightfly from 1982, which I'm really, really looking forward to doing because I know nothing about it. Amazing. It's going to be amazing. Yep, it's going to be an interesting little journey. I kind of know it, but I've listened to it probably, I don't know, less than 100 times. No, I've never, less, even, I've never listened to it at all in my entire probably life. Probably less than 50. I used to own it on vinyl. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> but I've just never sunk my teeth into it. So I'm quite excited to talk about the solo years. Yeah. Just, yeah. The wilderness years. The wilderness years. Twenty bloody years. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty selfish of them. <laughs> you kind of get the feeling from this record that they were done. Yeah, they've just almost gone beyond the realm of perfection, haven't yes. they? Yeah. And it's this idea of you know, can you be too perfect? And yeah, they probably could be too perfect. And this is what happened when they did Gaucho. Imagine spending four hours discussing aid on the word it <laughs> four hours yeah yeah but you know fuck it steal it down do what they like it's a lesson in how do you follow up your most successful record yeah but not... then wasn't gaucho more successful than asia was it not overall i think initially i think when it was released i think it it went it a bit a crazy flurry. it surpassed asia in sales to start wow. with like i say can you imagine in the 80s and then this fucking album comes out and it's all about excess and it's yacht rock and you're like yeah man give me my mobile phone with its briefcase battery <laughs> and i'm really looking forward to talking about the nightfly so thank you very much for listening yes thank and you. our next episode will be up in two weeks time so stick around and we'll catch you then take it easy bye bye this podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.